Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you guys today. Uh, as we get started, I want to uh, let you know of something uh, that the Mission Committee has brought to my attention and asked me to announce. Uh, the Mission Committee is going to be sponsoring a project that's going to take place uh, for a large portion of this year, and uh, perhaps some of you have participated in something like this in the past, but this is a project called Smile Boxes. Is anybody familiar with uh, Smile Boxes? Uh, okay, a handful here and there. So the smile boxes are basically things that we're going to gather together uh, over the course of the next several months, and uh, we're going to collect all these things and then uh, box them up and send them uh, to uh, the Mission Paro Cristo in Nicaragua. Now, if you ask John Mark to pronounce the Mission Paro Cristo, he'll probably do a much better job than I would. Uh, but uh, we're going to collect these different items, and there are uh, ways that you can drop those off uh, in this building and in the building next door. Uh, and so those are marked. Uh, I believe the ones in this building are just outside of these doors uh, as you go into the Welcome Center. So this month we're going to be collecting uh, sturdy combs, girls' hair accessories, toothbrushes, and toothpaste. And there's already some out there. So uh, as you're shopping, if you remember, oh, smile boxes. Uh, you can definitely uh, contribute some of those things and bring those so that we can box those up and send those. We're going to send those to about 100 kids uh, in Nicaragua uh, later on this year. So look forward to hearing more about what, uh, what all we're collecting and what you can contribute to that. Uh, today we're going to continue our series on Lent. And uh, uh, you might have two questions for me this morning. Uh, and uh, one of those questions might be, why are we talking about Lent? Uh, we talked about it last week. Uh, isn't that enough? Haven't we done enough with Lent? Uh, well, the answer is we're going to be studying Lent, uh, talking about Lent, referencing Lent for the next five weeks, including this week. So uh, there's more still to come. Uh, there's more for us to un uncover, to, uh, to talk about together. And so uh, enjoy this time of preparation, because that's what this is all about, is preparing our hearts and our lives uh, for the moment of Easter. And so we're going to be preparing uh, over these next five weeks for that. Now, the second question that you might have for me this morning, uh, as you look through the bulletin and you see the sermon title, is why on earth did you title this sermon, Jesus, Our Mother Hen? Well, I don't feel that bad about it, because Jesus references uh, himself this way. Uh, he talks about himself as a mother hen. Uh, he uses this image in the passage of Scripture that we're going to be reading together today. Uh, so I hope that you'll have grace uh, for me as I've used an image that Jesus himself used to try to describe him. Uh, as we get started, we're going to be turning to the Gospel of Luke again today. Uh, we're going to spend some time in Luke chapter 13, and so if you've got a Bible, you can turn over there. In the pews in front of you, uh, if you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible right there uh, in front of you, and uh, the passage that we're going to be reading today is on page 1,621. Uh, it's also on the screen behind me, hopefully, and uh, there's a, an a app on your iPhone called the Bible app that I would encourage you to download, and you could turn to it uh, in many different versions uh, on your phone. Uh, but before we read in Luke chapter 13, I want to tell you guys a story that I heard the other day because I think it perfectly illustrates uh, what we're about to read. Uh, this is a story I heard from another preacher a couple weeks ago, and uh, he used this story to illustrate how it is that we often misunderstand uh, Jesus in our lives, how we easily do this. Uh, so uh, it, the story begins with a young child inviting a friend to come to church with them. Now, this friend uh, uh, is his first time ever coming to church, has no idea what he's going to be walking into. And so his friend who invites him, he tells him everything he needs to know. He says, it's going to be easy. You don't need to worry about it. If the teacher calls on you and asks you a question in Bible class, all you need to do is answer Jesus. You guys have heard this idea, right? If you go to Bible class, Jesus is always the answer. Uh, and so his friend tells him, if the, if the teacher asks you a question, just answer Jesus. It'll be A-OK. -okay. So the very first thing that happens when this friend comes to church for the first time is the teacher notices that she has a new student in her class. And so she asks this new student, uh, what's your name? And predictably, the student answers, what? Jesus. 
Well, the teacher finds this quite fortuitous. Uh, she can't believe her luck. Uh, this is amazing. This is a kid who's never come to church before, but his name is Jesus. Uh, it doesn't get any easier than this. She can make a connection to Scripture so easy. So the class continues, and she's asking all the students different questions, and she decides throughout the course of this class that it would be such a wonderful thing for this kid, uh, this new student, to understand fully uh, the story. Uh, and so she begins to ask this one student question after question. And, and now, who is it that has died for all of our sins? And the student answers, Jesus. Oh, and, and, and now, why would God, God loves us so much that he sent uh, himself, he sent his own son, and what is his son's name? <coughs> Jesus. And so over and over again, the teacher asks these questions to this new student, and he continues to answer Jesus. The teacher is feeling quite good uh, by the end of class and uh, thinks that she has communicated a lot to this student. And so she finally, at the end of class, uh, the students are beginning to be picked up, and she turns to her new student and says, now who is it that's going to be picking you up from class today? <laughs> the student, predictably, answers Jesus. The teacher is kind of confused by this, uh, wonders what's really going on. But before she can continue with any follow-up questions, uh, the parents uh, uh, of his friend pick him and his friend up, and they, they leave the class. The teacher is very confused by this, and the student leaves the class uh, and, and says to his friend, this is my first time to come to church. That, that teacher asked a lot of questions, and I would have thought that if they were really the teacher of the class, that they would have known that Jesus was the answer to every single one of those questions. It's a great example of how we often misunderstand Jesus. The teacher thinks that she's communicating clearly to this new student uh, who it is that, uh, that they are there to study and, and live like, and the new student is simply answering the question the way his friend encouraged him to. Uh, we often misunderstand Jesus. We often see Jesus as something other than what he is. And so today's passage is a great example of this. Uh, in Luke chapter 13, we see Jesus have an encounter uh, with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are continuously misunderstanding who Jesus is and what his purpose is. And so throughout this story, uh, this short little passage that we're going to read together today, I think you'll see uh, that there's a lot of miscommunication taking place, that the Pharisees want something, uh, but Jesus isn't going to give them what they want. And Jesus wants something, but the Pharisees uh, aren't paying attention to what Jesus is really asking them to do. So in Luke chapter 13, uh, if you want to turn over to verse 31, uh, we're going to read uh, together verses 31 through 35. It says, At that time some Pharisees said to him, Get away from here, if you want to live, for Herod Antipas wants to kill you. And Jesus replied, Go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And the third day, I will accomplish my purpose. Yes, today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must proceed on my way, for it wouldn't do for a prophet of God to be killed except in Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, and yet you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned, and you will never see me again until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. All right, so kind of a bizarre little passage uh, tucked into the Gospel of Luke right here, but uh, I want to point out a couple of different things from this passage. The first uh, that, that stands out is that the Pharisees begin this story by telling Jesus that he needs to get out of town. If he wants to live, uh, he, should, he should get on the run, uh, because Herod Antipas is after him, and Herod wants to kill him. Now, this is a, kind of an odd statement coming from the Pharisees, because it seems like throughout the Gospels, uh, more times than we can count, Jesus and the Pharisees are at odds with one another. Uh, they're not getting along. But in this passage, it seems like the Pharisees are looking out for the best interests of Jesus. Jesus, if you want to live, you've got to get out of town. Herod Antipas is searching for you. He wants to kill you. 
So the Pharisees come to Jesus, supposedly seeking what is best for him. And yet Jesus knows that this request for him to get out of town is really quite self-serving for them as well. Because if Jesus were to leave town, if Jesus were to get out of there to try and save his own life, that solves a problem for the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees don't agree with Jesus. They don't like the things that Jesus is teaching. And so this is quite a self-serving request. Jesus, if you want to save your life, get out of town. And by the way, we can't wait for you to leave. Uh, We'll pack your suitcase for you if you want us to. So the Pharisees are coming to Jesus, asking him, get out of town, please. Uh, We'd rather you were gone than continuing to teach and live the way that you're living, drawing the crowds the way that you are. Jesus responds uh, quite harshly to this. Uh, Did you notice that he calls Herod a fox? Uh, That's not a compliment. Uh, He's not intending to say Herod's a foxy guy. No, Herod is a fox. He's sly. He's cunning. He's deceitful. Jesus says, if you want to go back to that fox, you can tell him. He knows exactly where he can find me. I'm going to continue my ministry of healing, of casting out demons today, tomorrow, and on the third day, I will accomplish my purpose. Perhaps a reference to his coming death and resurrection, that on the third day he will rise and accomplish what he is seeking to do. Now, I noticed one more thing in this passage uh, before we get to the lament about Jerusalem that I thought was interesting. Jesus uses uh, what we would think of as an ordinary word, uh, and it is an ordinary word. He says that he must continue on his way to Jerusalem. Did you guys catch that? He said, I must. He's committed to this. Uh, he is anything but changing his direction. He is on the road to Jerusalem. In fact, earlier in Luke's gospel, uh, Luke starts to pepper in every story just about. Luke says that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus says he must continue to go there. He must go on to Jerusalem. Uh, This is a a fairly ordinary Greek word, uh, nothing particularly special about it. Uh, It's just a verb, uh, and the Greek word is dei, D-E-I. It comes from a root, D-E-O, deo, and it means that it is necessary. Uh, This is not a grand word. This is not like the Greek word uh, for love, agape. Uh, That word has deep, deep significance. It's not like the Hebrew words for shalom, uh, peace, Uh, It's not like the Hebrew word hesed, which means steadfast love. This is just an ordinary word, and yet Luke is using this word intentionally because it shows up multiple times throughout the entire course of his gospel. I want to show you a couple of the places that it shows up because uh, each verse uh, tells us that Jesus is committed to something. He's committed to doing a certain thing. It's necessary for him to do these things. So it shows up uh, in places like uh, Luke 2, 49, and Jesus says uh, when his parents returned seeking him as a child, he says, did you not know that I must be in my father's house. He must be. He's committed to this. It's necessary that he remains in the temple. In Luke 4, 43, when he begins his ministry, he says that he must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to, the, to other cities as well, not just the one that he's in, for he was sent for this purpose. He must be with his God. He must tell the message of good news in multiple places. In Luke 9, 22, the son of man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. In Luke 19, after this story takes place, uh, as he's nearing the end of his life, he has an encounter with Zacchaeus. And he says, "Uh, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. He can't ignore people like Zacchaeus. He is sent for them for his purpose to be completed. In Luke 22, 37, it says, for I tell you, this scripture must be fulfilled in me. He was counted among the lawless, and indeed what is written about me is being fulfilled. Jesus must fulfill the scriptures. Jesus has a purpose. God has sent him to do something, and he has no choice but to continue along the path that he is on. He must continue on 
to Jerusalem. In verse 34, Jesus begins a lament for the city of Jerusalem. He says that it's only proper that if he's going to die, if he's going to be killed, that it would take place ultimately in Jerusalem, the place where for so many centuries people, the people of God had rejected God's messengers, the prophets who have come before Jesus, those who have said to, to the Israelites, to the people of God, if you will change your hearts and lives, God will return and be among you. And yet they ignore the prophets, often killing them. And Jesus says, if there's a place for me to die, it's there in Jerusalem. Now, this is an interesting passage for us to read in light of Lent. Because Lent is all about sacrificing. It's all about uh, fasting and repentance. It's all about changing our hearts and lives so that we can prepare for the moment of Easter, when Jesus is raised from the dead. So this is an interesting passage, I think, for us to read together this morning, because uh, if we read this and we apply the situation that Jesus is talking about to ourselves, Jesus is telling us, we must change. We must turn back to God. We must pay attention to the prophets, those who are calling God's presence forth in our world today. Jesus tells the people of God, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, to change their hearts and lives. Yes, Herod can do his worst to me, but I must continue along this path, for this is my purpose. This is what I'm here to do, to restore and redeem the world, to bring all of creation back to the Creator, back to God. Jesus has a path, and he is committed to it. And he's asking us today, are we going to join him on that path? Or are we going to do as the Pharisees and Herod do, and ignore Jesus, try to kick him out of town, even try to kill him? It doesn't seem like it's something that I would need to say, but I'll say it anyways. The Pharisees, the Jewish people, Herod, they are going on a path that will eventually lead them to kill Jesus. And it has a lot to do with what they believe. It has much to do with the things that Jesus is doing and the ways that they feel threatened by it. And so I'll say it this morning. Any theology, any faith, any way of thinking that leads us to cause to want to kill someone else is not the way of Jesus. Because Jesus is on a path. He's on the path to giving his own life for the sake of others. And this is the path that he's inviting us on together today. As we talk about Lent, as we think about what it is that we are giving up so that we can gain more and more of God, so that we can look more and more like Jesus. What are we giving up? What are we turning away from? What are we fasting from? Last week, I invited Russell Johnson to come and share uh, a little bit with us, and he shared about how he has given up sweets. Now, this was not originally something he did uh, for Lent, and yet he was able to find ways that this has encouraged him and emboldened him in his spiritual walk with God. Today, I'd like to invite uh, Travis Upshaw to come and join me. Uh, Travis and I are going to have a conversation because Travis uh, lives repentance. Travis knows what it means to turn from one thing and to begin to live the way of Christ. Travis uh, is not only a member here, but he's also a participant in our region program that meets on Wednesday nights. Uh, Travis helps to lead worship on Saturday nights. Uh, he is a coach these days, uh, and so Travis uh, has, has a lot that's going on in his life, but uh, he's got a lot to share with us this morning as well. And so, Travis, uh, if you'll flip that switch up, okay. it should be on there. And, uh, you hear uh, me? Oh, yeah, yeah that's working. clear. Uh, it's always a joy to talk about Christ in my life, and um, never intended it to be on the scale, but amen. <laughs> I love enjoying talking to people one-on-one, but when the Lord calls me to talk in front of large people, I'm like, great, I'm terrified and nervous. <laughs> it's awesome. 
Uh, Travis, they're going to have a lot of grace for you. Uh, they're going to they're love what you have to say. Uh, I'm going to love what you have to say because I know that it's heartfelt uh, and your life uh, is a testimony to what it means to follow Christ. Uh, so we're talking about repentance today. That's our big uh, kind of catchword for the day is repentance. So uh, tell me what you think repentance means, uh, a definition, uh, a way that you live it out. Uh, what is repentance? Well, honestly, Jake, I confused myself for the first two or three days of this. When you asked me, I uh, Googled it. And... <laughs> That was a big mistake, big mistake. Um, repentance, I mean, always, for me personally, it's not only just turning, but taking that action, that step towards Christ, away from something you know that's not good in your life. So it's not just the turning, it's the walking towards it. Yeah, yeah, so there, it's not only an inward expression, but there's an outward expression as well, there's, a, there's an action. Uh, is there anything, he, Travis has notes, and I, I'm going to make sure that he says everything he wants to say about this. Is there anything else? Well, I was told not to read my notes. My wife lets me know that I'm a robot when I start reading my notes. <laughs> so I'm going to keep this off the notes as much as I can. But um, I think Acts 26.20 says it's best that repent, turn to God, and prove their repentance by their actions or deeds. I think that just goes on the fact of having the obedience and the discipline towards Christ after turning towards him and showing that action. Yeah. Uh, okay, Travis, uh, I, I know some of your story. Uh, I think probably some people know some of your story, but uh, tell us some of the high points of how you have lived this uh, repentance out in your life. Tell us a little bit of your testimony. Well, just to start off, I also want to talk to you all about discipline and the words just repentance and discipline. When I was a child, that used to, meant, used to mean to me like, oh, discipline. I've done something wrong again. Um, I need to repent because I sinned. That's like a bad word. But um, after walking this out over the years, repentance is such a gift. And discipline is such a guidance from a loving father. It's just like opened my eyes to so many directions of life where God can guide me in the discipline in his love. So um, growing up, I believed doing the right thing, God would grant me my wishes like a genie. My dreams would come true. I didn't have sex before marriage. I didn't drink. I led Bible studies. I was heavily involved in church all throughout college. Over the years, I developed a sport of football and my athletic ability into a huge idol in my life. It sat on the throne of my heart. I'm glad this happened because today I know that, that I know who needs to sit on the throne of my heart. Um, through injuries and circumstances, these idols came to an abrupt end. I turned from God in anger. I made several years of bad decisions. Today, I try to keep my bad decisions under two a week. <laughs> no. Uh, until I realized no matter how many mistakes I make, no matter how much anger I can have towards God, I couldn't outrun his love. Um, mistakes and mistakes and mistakes, but God's love kept chasing after me. And uh, anger and anger and anger and just um, shame and guilt, but God's love kept pulling me out. Uh, a lot, a lot of this turned uh, around an injury, you said, uh, and now you're a coach. Yeah. And so I imagine that this is a fantastic place that God has placed you to try and set up uh, in other people's lives uh, ways that they don't have to follow the same path uh, when, when an injury takes place or when something in their life doesn't go the way they want. Uh, and so not only is your repentance playing out in your life, but you're able to now uh, teach and coach uh, other high school kids, middle school kids, what it's like. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's great. That's beautiful. Uh, okay, uh, I wanted to know uh, what, what was 
something that helped you understand that you needed to take this path of repentance, where it wasn't something that you needed to be afraid of, but you could, you could do this in your daily life? What was a motivator? Um, I think, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of, this is such a daily thing for me. This is such a, uh, Paul says, you know, it's a daily, daily walk, and it's like, I have to be motivated every day. Um, the day I wake up and I forget that I'm not a sinner, that's the day I'm going to take those wrong steps. And that discipline and obedience has been over years of, of, of failures and years of making those wrong decisions. And it's like, what brought me to it each day is like all of a sudden there's unexplainable things that happen in your life. You let God in and he starts becoming this amazing guidance and amazing redeemer of, of things that you thought would never come back to your life. Yeah. Uh, earlier, you used the word discipline, and you said that that uh, has become a grace to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so discipline uh, isn't necessarily punishment, uh, but it's something that you can do to help you continue along the path of following God. So tell me, some, some of, what are some of the disciplines that help you stay repentant, that help you stay in connection to God? Um, and I always get, on the discipline, I try not to get so... Um, I always watch myself, so I'm like, the discipline. I need to do this, this, and this, and I, I try to stay in, in the grace of everything because I know I'm going to fail. Um, but giving it back, the joy I receive, the, the um, guidance I receive, the um, love that I receive, I try to give it to everyone around me, and I try to um, explain to people that when they're struggling through things, that they don't have to keep struggling, or when they're... Um, full of pride or something that doesn't work either because I've had a lot of it you know and um, I just get to help people understand that they're not in this alone Mm, yeah Uh, so there there are ways you know through coaching through regeneration that you can kind of look to communities around you and say let's walk this path together I want to walk beside you absolutely uh, absolutely yeah I've been able to mentor with several guys in regeneration that's been um Building those personal relationships, that's, you, we get so busy with life in general, like you said, I'm coaching stuff, and I, I do all kinds of things in my life throughout the day, and I get so busy, but slowing down and creating a personal relationship with somebody and actually caring for them outside of your family and, and um, giving yourself to somebody to help them, and that, that kind of pulls me away from myself. It does. Um, I've been able to do that with regeneration. I, I try to do that when I feel like God calls me to certain people that I need to take time out of my day and like, you know, maybe, I don't know, buy them lunch or ask them to go do something or figure out, you know, what's going on in their life. And uh, I think it's some of the most important times whenever it's a complete stranger. And I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, I don't, you know, to, to do that because I think in today's time, though, the, the key there is slowing down. Because I, I I get so busy Monday through Friday. I mean, it's just a and this weekend. I mean, it's a busy thing, you know. And and building those personal relationships because that's how Christ has called us to do to build that personal relationship with Him. And just like repentance, it takes work, and it takes work with individuals. So if I build this personal relationship with a person, then I can love them just as Christ loves me, and He can see Christ, and He can know that that's where it comes from, and it's not coming from me. Yeah. Uh, any, any final, anything else you want to say, this is what repentance is about, this is something that these people need to know? Uh, just that 
just like I said, if you are, if there's something that is getting in your way, I mean, repentance is a gift, and it's a God-given gift. Thank you. Uh, would you guys give Travis a, a round of applause? Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, so our, our passage today, Luke 13, uh, Jesus comes before uh, these Pharisees who supposedly want what's best for him, but really they're trying to serve their own purposes. Uh, he has Herod in the background who's seeking uh, to find ways to destroy him, to get rid of him, to kill him. And Jesus says he must continue along this path. He must go to Jerusalem. He knows what awaits him at the end of that path, that there he will give his life, that there he will shed his blood for the sake of others around him. When we talk about repentance, when we talk about turning our lives over to God and, and changing directions, we talk about it because we want to become transformed into the likeness of Jesus. We want to be like this king that we worship, the God who has come among us in a person, in Jesus. We want to be the light. We want to be the salt. We want to share the love that Christ has shared with us, with those in our world. And so Lent asks us to prepare, to, to prepare for this resurrected life that is offered to all of us by turning, turning away from sin, and turning back to God. And so today, uh, we're going to continue uh, in, in our worship here in just a moment, and as we do, we've got uh, ways that you can participate in repentance today. Uh, I hope that you've heard from Travis that this is a daily uh, obedience, that this is a daily gift from God, that we have an opportunity to do this uh, throughout our entire lives, not just today, not just during the season of Lent. But today, we do want to take some special time and, and focus and put it on this. Uh, last week, we began, uh, a few of us have begun sharing some of the things that we're fasting from, and I want to invite you, uh, if during our time of worship and communion, if you'd like to go uh, and, and write down uh, something that you're fasting from, something that you're giving up this season b before, uh, before Easter so that you can focus that time on God, I'd invite you to do that. Our elders are going to gather around the room today, and uh, we're always available for prayer during our worship time. But today especially, I'd encourage you to go to them and, and talk about repentance, uh, to talk about the ways that you might have uh, to turn to God, to turn away from something uh, sinful or something uh, in your life and turn to God in that way. And so our elders would love to pray with you, to talk with you about that. And today, if you want to put on Christ in baptism, if you want to display your repentance, I'd love to visit with you, and I'll be down front, uh, and we'll be able to uh, talk about baptism as we continue in our worship. Uh, today, may we live this out. May we be people who are repentant, showing the world the way of Jesus, showing uh, those around us, even those in this room, what it means to truly follow Jesus and to become more and more like Christ. Would you please stand and continue worshiping?